chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. And as we look here in the gospel account of Luke, we continue in a story that we have been walking through together. We started on this journey of seeing this glorious unfolding story starting in January. We started in uh, Genesis and we have walked through chronologically. If you've not been with us, then I would encourage you to just jump in with us next year because January again, many of us will start over in our, our small group Bible studies. We're studying through chronologically and so we've walked through the Old Testament and we come to this fulfillment of all of those promises that are found in Jesus Christ. Um, in Luke chapter 24, we see the glory of the resurrection. I've entitled today's message, Life, Faith, and Eternity, because I believe that there are times that life happens, and when it does, when it comes, it can cause our faith to waver. We're going to see that in the life of these ladies that make their way to the tomb, and all of the wonder of the promises that is now fulfilled almost seem too good to be true. And so I want us to consider this matter of life and faith and eternity. Luke chapter 24, beginning in verse 1. But very early on Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. They found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance, so they went in, but they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. As they stood there puzzled, two men suddenly appeared to them, clothed in dazzling robes. The women were terrified and bowed with their faces to the ground. Then the men asked, why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Remember what he told you back in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful man and be crucified and that he would rise again on the third day. Then they remembered that he had said this. So they rushed back from the tomb to tell his 11 disciples and everyone else what had happened. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and several other women who told the apostles what had happened. But the story sounded like nonsense to the men, so they didn't believe it. However, Peter jumped up and ran to the tomb to look in. Stooping, he peered in and saw the empty linen wrappings, and then he went home again wondering what had happened. Will you pray with me? Father, in the next few moments, I pray that we would focus our attention by the empowerment of your Spirit on the amazing reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Thank you for the proofs that are there. Thank you, Lord, for the appearances that are there. Thank you, Lord, for the signs as we see an empty tomb and missing soldiers and wrapped up death linens. But, Father, more than this, thank you for the manifold witness of lives that have been changed by the power of the resurrection of Jesus. Help us, Lord. Speak through me even now. Hide me behind the cross. In Jesus' name. Amen. I can only imagine the mix of emotions that this group of women would have as they approach the tomb. It's the first day of the week, and the first day of the week is not always the best day of the week for us. We talk about more Monday morning blues. We, we've made it over a weekend, and we go back to the grind. We go back to 
the regular routine of life. Well, this was unique and different. They didn't number the days as we do. They are named them. They numbered them. And this was the first day of the week. But they had experienced the most horrific and awful chain of events in their entire life just over the past couple of days. And now they come to the first day of the week. Back to the grind. Back to the routine. Back to making sense out of what life is like after the greatest tragedy of their life. Life has to continue because life marches forward. Time doesn't stop. Many of you have experienced that same experience. You've gone through a tragedy. You experienced pain or loss and life doesn't stop. Everyone else seems to go about their business and their lives don't come to a screeching halt. But you seem suspended in a moment. Anybody ever been there? We're on good ground. They started early. Different accounts say that it was dark or just beginning to to become the the dusk of the morning or, or the dawn of the morning. It's just early, early light. And their plan was to cherish the memory of Jesus, but also to prepare his body for a proper burial. As you know, his body had been taken down very quickly because of the Sabbath. And these women were a group that had traveled with Jesus. They were from Galilee, and they had traveled with Jesus and the disciples. In fact, if you would, look back with me to Luke chapter 8. I want you to see something interesting about this group of ladies. I'm so grateful for the influence of the women that the Gospels include, and God used women throughout the story of redemption in powerful ways. But in Luke chapter 8, beginning in verse 1, some of these ladies are mentioned. Soon afterward, Jesus began a tour of the nearby towns and villages, preaching and announcing the good news about the kingdom of God. He took his 12 disciples with him, and look at verse 2, along with some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Among them were Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out how many demons? Seven demons. Joanna, the wife of Cusa, who was whose business manager? That's kind of interesting. We're going to look at that in a moment together. Herod's business manager. Susanna and many others who were contributing from their own resources to support Jesus and his disciples. So walk with me. Here are these women from rural Galilee up in the north. Now, they're not from a a metropolitan area. They're not from one of the towns. They're from these rural Galilee, and they have followed Jesus, and they have come to know Jesus, and so they're traveling with him. Mary Magdalene being one of them. I would love to have heard her tell her story. It says that she had been delivered from seven demons. Can you imagine if she could tell her testimony? Can you imagine if you had met her earlier in her life, compelled by forces far beyond her own control? I mean, think about that. Compulsive patterns of behavior, oppressed and even possessed by these demonic forces. Kind of interesting to think, Jesus set her free. Jesus spoke into her life. Jesus touched her life, and he changed her in such dramatic fashion that she began to follow. Don't miss that. Verse 2 says, and among them were some women. These ladies had been changed by Jesus, and they began to follow after the master. He had transformed their lives. Oh, I would love to hear the story from Mary Magdalene's own lips of where she had been and where she now is. 
go back to verse 3, if we look in our passage yet again, and we begin to see, or excuse me, in verse 3 here in Luke 8, we, we see Joanna, the wife of Cusa, the manager of Herod's household. Who was Herod? Herod was a king. He was king of the Galilee region. And because of that, we understand that Cusa would have had a high position. He was the manager of all of Herod's household. And if his wife is following Jesus, oh, the influence that she would have. But more than that, the experiences that she would have brought to the table. It's unique to begin to think about this high-level position. She would have been right in the center of daily life in the palace. Royal life in Herod's court would have been very familiar to her because her husband, Cusa, was in charge of all the things that were going on. In fact, we know the story that John the Baptist came and confronted Herod. Herod took his brother's wife. He divorced his own wife, and he forced his brother to divorce his wife, Herodias, and he married her, and John the Baptist said, that's sin. And he called it out. And because of that, Herod had John the Baptist arrested and ultimately beheaded. In fact, if you have read the story or are familiar with it, uh, Herodias' daughter danced before the king at a party. And, and in dancing, it pleased the king. And it was probably some sultry kind of a moment. And she asked whatever she wanted was the, the request uh, Excuse me, that, that he gave to her. You ask whatever you want and I'll grant it. And she asked her mother, what do we want? And she said, you take that prophet's head. And he ordered John the Baptist killed. Why is that significant to our story? Because this young woman who is following after Jesus would have been close by. Why would you say that? Well, they're at a party in the royal palace and her husband plans the party. Her husband is the manager of the household affairs of Herod. She would have been clearly involved, or at least around it. Pilate tried his best to avoid responsibility, and he sent Jesus to Herod. And in sending Jesus to Herod's palace, Joanna would have been around. And now we see her among Jesus' followers. I just wanted to give you a little background because I'm, I'm afraid sometimes we dehumanize the stories. These are real people who had experiences. And because of the transformation of their lives, they walked away from life as they knew it. And they followed after Jesus. They believed. So Joanna at some point had come to faith in Galilee. Mary Magdalene had come to faith some point in Galilee. Kind of interesting, if you look at verse 3, just for a moment, it says that these women were also helping support Jesus' ministry by their own funds. It's sort of ironic to me to think that perhaps that some of Herod's own payroll was going to fund the ministry of Jesus. Back to our text in Luke 24. Turn with me there. These same women that are mentioned here in Luke 8 or mentioned in verse 10 and following. They've been identified specifically. The gospel writer pointed them out by name. They'd been with Jesus. They'd followed Jesus. They'd heard Christ speaking. And on at least three occasions from what we know of the gospel record, they had heard Jesus say, I will rise on the third day. But that was not at all what they were expecting. When they went that first day of the week on that early, early morning, they went with no expectation of resurrection. That was not in their frame of mind. They went there, let me say it this way, they went there with great love in their hearts, but not faith. That's an important thing for us to note in a moment. 
they, they were not expecting what they would find. One commentator said this. Let me put it on the screen. Their journey was motivated by love, but it was entirely without faith. On this first day of the week, they expected nothing to happen. Whatever faith they had back in Galilee had been overwhelmed by the darkness of Calvary. I would say it this way. Faith had been extinguished by the sight of the cross. They looked up into the eyes of Jesus and they watched him bow his head and they heard him cry, it is finished. And they thought it was all over. And they went to the tomb with burial spices with no expectation whatsoever of resurrection. Kind of interesting to me. I want to put this on the screen for you. I want you to write it down. We can have great affection for Jesus, but have absolutely no faith in Jesus. It is possible to love Christ, but not have faith in Christ. And really, when I say to love Christ, it's really to love His cause. I would bet that there are people in this very room who say, yes, the things that Jesus offers, love and patience and peace and kindness, those things this world desperately needs, but you've never really stopped and pondered the significance of the resurrection, and you've never placed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. I want you to see, they believe in His cause. (laughs) Maybe years ago you came to a place where you learned about Christ and you learned about the Christian faith and you were drawn to Him and maybe even made some profession of faith but, and began to follow Him and then a, a great darkness surrounded you. I know so many people who've been hit in the mouth, figuratively, by life. They've been kicked in the teeth. They, they've gotten a raw deal. And because of the pain and the anguish and the agony of loss and separation and frustration and even at some places dejection or rejection and even betrayal, somebody that you loved and trusted walked away from you or your health failed you. And in those moments, your faith seemed to go out the door. It was disconnected. It was a a mental ascension toward Christ, but it was never a place. Love was left, but faith was extinguished. Maybe that's why you're here. You came here today with some outside hopes. Well, I know I'm supposed to be near the things of faith. And you believe it represents a good thing for you to be here today. That's the ladies at the tomb. These who had followed Jesus. You want to be near. And at least today, perhaps you wish that His promises were true. They had heard Him promise it. But they had no faith or expectation that it was to come true. That's where they are. And what they ultimately discovered that very day is exactly what my desire for you is to discover on this very day. Let's continue. Look at verse 2. They found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. So they went in, but they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. And they stood there puzzled. They were bewildered, amazed, confounded, conflicted, confused. They don't understand what's going on. Now, you know this and it's been well said. The stone was not rolled away to let Jesus out but to let us in. We get a glimpse of what God had already done as Jesus Christ had risen from the dead and they had not suspected that. They had no clue. So how did they know what had happened? Do you think it went through their minds that somebody stole the body? 
probably so. Do you think it went through their minds in some unique way that that something had happened? Maybe they were in their minds struggling to figure out some cruel joke by the Romans or by the Jewish leadership. They have no idea. The, The Romans have no reason to hide a body and not produce it. They were executioners. We were paid to do a job and we were to execute him and we did on a cross and his body is there. There's proof. They had no reason. And my my intent today is not to try to go through the proofs of the resurrection. We know Jesus was dead. We understand clearly the flogging and all of the proofs that we go through to see he's wrapped up in burial cloth and the cloth is all laying there neatly folded. If, If someone wanted to steal the body, it would be foolish to presume that they would take time to fold the cloth. These ladies had no clue. So how do they know that Jesus is risen? You ready? God told them. God told them. That may not be life-shaking and and earth-changing and ground-breaking to you. That may be the most important thing that I say today, and here's why. The Christian faith is based almost in its entirety on believing what God says about what God has done. And we're going to get there in a moment. Look with me, if you will. Two men suddenly appeared to them, clothed in dazzling, gleaming, radiant robes. And here in verse 5 and verse 6, these two angels make the most glorious declaration of all time. The women are terrified. They bowed their faces to the ground. And look at what Scripture says. Then the men asked, why are you looking for uh, among the dead for someone who is alive? He isn't here. He is risen. It does not just say he's alive. It says he is risen. That is significant. We're going to see this. Here's the statement that I want you to read. We'll put it on the screen. Christian faith rests entirely on believing what God has said about what God has done. You would know nothing about how to be saved had God not told you. God put in my heart and in your heart enough knowledge to know that we need him. But through Jesus Christ, specifically speaking, he's given us all that we need to be gloriously, radically saved. I've said this to you before, through our chronological study, there are two ways to live. You can live as a person of the eye or a person of the ear. People of the eye live by what they see, what they perceive, what they estimate, and what they uh, uh, intuitively deduce. People of the ear live based on what God says. They live by faith in what he has said. The Bible says in Romans very pointedly, faith comes by, help me out, hearing and hearing by the word of God. So the word of God establishes you and me in knowing anything about anything eternal. We would know nothing without God speaking. And here God shows up. God dispatches angels. Oh, look at this. Go tell them. I I just, I I mean, that's just in my own sanctified imagination, a hallelujah moment. God, from his throne, dispatches angels, and they stand at attention. And he says, go tell them. He is risen. He is not here. Hallelujah. (laughs) It's interesting. That's the pattern from the beginning. Adam would not have known God or who he is or what he's like unless God told him, but he did. 
Adam, I'm the creator of all things. I made you, and I'm giving you dominion and authority over all that's here. Be fruitful and multiply. Oh, now I know who I am, whose I am, and what I'm supposed to do. Adam would have known none of that had God not told him. And he did those things, so do it. Be fruitful and multiply. Adam's response, I am the creation of God, and I'm to live for his glory. God delivers his people out of the hand of Pharaoh and Egypt and he delivers them through the mighty plagues and then the separation of the Red Sea and he brings them together at Mount Sinai to make sure that they know what happened. I am the God that brought you out and I will be your God and you will be my people. You see, he told them who they were, whose they were, and where they were supposed to go, what they were supposed to do. Their response, oh, he's made us his people. And we're to love and follow and submit to his way. His promises are sure. The Son of God leaves heaven and comes to earth. A virgin finds herself pregnant and God explains to her what's happening. He says, you will find yourself with child of the Holy Ghost. He's born in a field. Shepherds would know nothing about a baby in a manger. But a host of angels show up. God dispatches them. Go tell them. <laughs> Unto you this day a Savior is born. In just a few minutes, some of you are going to get excited and get on this side with me. Until then, I'm just going to carry on. I don't know about you, but the resurrection changes everything. We talk about it on Easter, but every Sunday is Resurrection Sunday for the believer. Oh, that we would get to this place in the story. We've, we've muddled our way through Leviticus and Ezekiel. Some of you read it, and, and I'm not discounting or disparaging those, but it was tough plowing. I'm at an empty tomb. <laughs> I'm excited. Jesus dispatches his angels, and he sends them forth, and they tell. And now the same is true of the resurrection. The tomb is empty. God has acted. He's raised Jesus from the dead, but he takes a declaration from these angels to remind them of the promise. Look at the text again. Verse 6, remember what he told you back in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, that Christ would rise again on the third day. That they, then they remembered what he had said. You see, Christian faith rests on the words and the promises of God. He acts, but then he tells us what he's done. He, he moves and then he explains to us the significance of his action. Sadly, those reactions change when life hits us in the mouth. Adam heard, I am a creation of God to live for his glory. But Adam decided to live by what he saw. The people of God in the wilderness decided, oh, we're his and he is ours and his promises are sure. But we are going to trust ourselves, not him. And on and on through scripture and even in your life, you have heard the story. You know whoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But there's a sense in which you submit yourself in obedience. And you've not done that. Or your faith is weakened. And far too many of us wander away. So I want us today for just a few moments to focus on three simple words that came from the lips of an angel. He is risen. He is risen. What does it mean that Jesus Christ is risen? 
three very quick thoughts. Number one, death is defeated. We talk about death being defeated, but this morning I want us to ponder the resurrection fresh and new. I don't want us just to see that Jesus was dead and now he's alive again. No, it doesn't just say that. It says he's risen. And the rising of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, makes something very significant in our minds and our thinking and our theology. We followed the story all the way along, and as we have, Brother West, for me it seems like it's been clouded by death. Over and over again, we see death from the beginning. We see the death of the animal to provide covering for Adam and Eve. We see death at the tabernacle. We see death in Cain and Abel's story. We see death at the judgment through the the flood. Death clouds it all. After the first sin of Adam in the garden, God pronounced, You are dust and you will return to dust. The Apostle Paul said it this way in the book of Romans, Nevertheless, death reigned. (laughs) He said it ruled from Adam to Moses. From the time of Adam forward, death had a way in but no way out. There was a promise of relief. A Messiah is coming. A deliverer, a rescuer will come and he will make a way. And they trusted in that promise. They placed their faith in what God said. And the Old Testament believers were saved by faith. You need to hear that and know that. Old Testament saints were saved by grace through faith. Would you agree with that? They were not saved by keeping the law. Nobody can do it perfectly. They were not saved by making sacrifices. The blood of bulls and goats cannot take away sin. It cannot atone for sin. They trusted in the promises of God. In fact, Romans backs me up where it says this. Abraham trusted God and it was credited to him as righteousness. It's sort of like a kid who sticks his head through a fence. You ever have that happen in your family? You ever have a kid get stuck in anything? I I watched this week, I'll just tell you, part of my sermon research was not just in deep theological commentary, but on YouTube. And I ended up on a rabbit hole watching kids get stuck in vending machines and bicycles and tricycles and cars and all kinds of stuff. But there there are a plethora of kids who stuck their heads directly through the bars of a fence and got stuck. And they couldn't go forward, and they couldn't get out. I I tell you, in all of my deep theological study, I ended up on Winnie the Pooh. Do you remember that story? He got stuck at Rabbit's house, and he had to lose weight before they could pop him through. He'd eaten too much honey. That's the Old Testament saints. They were stuck. Now, I'm not here to debate the theology of what happened of Abraham's bosom and paradise and all of those things. We know that they ultimately, through the promise of a future Messiah, entered into the very presence of God. And the glorious picture is they were saved by grace through faith just like we are. They were saved looking forward to a Messiah who would atone for their sin. Their sins were atoned for, but they had not been carried away. Jesus carried them all away. Hallelujah. For you and for me, we need to understand today very, very pointedly that Jesus did what most of those parents had to do when that kid stuck his head in. They had to break the bars. They had to destroy the fence. They had to tear that vending machine apart. Jesus poked a hole in death. He shattered death. Death is no longer a prison but a portal or a passage. Now, because Jesus has been raised from the dead, if he was simply made alive again in his spirit, 
and we had come to the tomb, and the angel said, well, there's his body, but he's not here. He's with the Father. His body, his shell is just here. No, 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 no. In the last two and a half weeks, we've had six funerals in our church family. That's too many, by the way, and I've just declared we're not going to have any more for a while, okay? I can't do anything about that. But at every one of those, I've heard people say, you know what, he's not here. She's not here. This is a shell. Their body is here, but they are where? With the Lord in heaven. But Jesus' body was resurrected. And the promise of that resurrection is not that just we will be disembodied spirits one day in the presence of the Lord, but our resurrection bodies will be complete and the redemption that will come together, God's ultimate and final and complete from the beginning plan of redemption was a resurrected people in His presence worshiping Him forever. And Jesus broke the power of death and was raised bodily from the dead so that those angels on on dispatch from God could say, He's not here. And not just He's alive and He's there and the shell's here. No, no, no. He's risen. Death has been defeated. We say that all the time at a Christian funeral. We go to the graveside and we say they're not here, but it leaves us with a place of grief and loss and longing, but it's not that way with Jesus. The message of Easter is not that Jesus is alive and with the Father. The message is Jesus is raised. He's risen. Number two, I want you to see this. He is and you are raised in wholeness. The whole of you is raised, body, mind, soul, spirit. Think about this with me. Animals are souls without body, or excuse me, angels are, are souls or spirits without bodies. Animals are bodies without souls. Man and woman are created uniquely in an incredible unity of both body and soul. And I wrote this down this week. This is why it, it's so important for us to see that death is our enemy. Death separates something that is so uh, intrinsic to who we are. Death destroys a portion of our nature it separates what God has joined together a body and a soul how did the body first get life Jehovah God knelt near to the ground in Genesis 2 and he breathed life into man where does the breath of God lead to the word of God all scripture is God breathed it's the Word of God that brings life, and it's the Word of God that brings new life. But God breathes life, and He infuses into the body, physical body, life. And when death comes, it separates the two, and that's not the intent of God's design. So the survival of the soul by itself is not really victory over death. If Jesus physical, human, earthly body had stayed in the ground and, and he had just moved back to the throne of God, then we would not have victory. That means that only part of us would be saved. But the resurrection is telling us this, I'll save every part of you. Every part of you. Look at verse 39 and following and just consider in your mind, we won't read it for time's sake, but what does Jesus say when he appears to them? Look at my hands. Look at my feet. He points out the physical. He says, give me something to eat. This is not Christ minus a body. <laughs> Old Testament believers are longing and waiting. This is the body of Jesus. He says, I have been raised. 
I have triumphed over death. Jesus is raised in fullness. You will be as well if you are in Christ. You'll be brought into the presence of God, body and soul. Let me try to illustrate it this way before we wrap up. I don't know where your happy place is that you go on those Monday mornings where you're struggling. For me, it's Fiji. I, I like the mountains and I like the beach. I've never been to Fiji, but there's just something about it that says I, I'd just like to go and stay in one of those little grass huts overlooking the water. I, I probably wouldn't. I'd probably get sunburned or jelly be- uh, what jellyfish stung or whatever, but I, I just dream of it. Well, imagine I go to the travel agent and I've saved my money and I'm going to Fiji and on my way home from the travel agent, I get hit by a bus. And I'm laying in Forest General, and I'm in a body cast from head to toe. I mean, you know, one of those deals. I got a thermometer sticking out of my mouth. And one of my uh, beloved and well-intentioned staff comes, and they bring their laptop into my hospital room. They're pointing at each other right now. I'm not calling out any name. By the way, this is a total side note, but Brother West, did you plan for all of our praise team to wear purple today? I'm just saying. I understand Rick Dardar, we, never mind, we don't even need to go there this morning. I just I just, I made a note, brother. Scott, I saw. All right. So Scott Alexander comes into my room with a laptop, and he shows me a virtual tour of Fiji. Pastor, I know you've always wanted to go there. I know it's going to be a while before you're mobile. I want to take you there. And let's just suppose he wants to make it a virtual experience. So he brings his kids in, and Asher comes running in, and Asher's got some suntan lotion, and he squeezes just enough of it so that the smells of coconut waft through my hospital bed. I mean, it is a virtual smelling inside experience. The problem is, I haven't been to Fiji. Yes, you have, Pastor. We took you there on this virtual tour. No. I'm not going to heaven virtually. I'm going to heaven bodily. Jesus rose from the dead, and because of that, I'll be raised in wholeness. Death has been defeated. He declared victory over the grave, and the angels declared to those women, why are you looking for the dead among, or for the living among the dead? He is not here. He's alive. He is, say it with me, risen. Oh, that word ought to reverberate in our souls. Are we here simply to learn information? Or are we here to experience transformation? Oh, that God would grip the heart and soul of Hardy Street Baptist Church. And that we would be as confident as the believers of the first century who said, you can kill us if you want, we've seen him, he's alive. We've touched him, we've spoken with him, we ate with him. He commissioned us to go and to tell, and we'll tell everybody. You know why people are lost and dying and going to hell here in our city? At the alarming rates that they are? Because we're not telling them that they don't have to. Oh, that we would stand together. Cast a little vision toward 2020. Beginning in January, we're going to introduce a very simple concept called Who's Your One? 
And I'm going to ask every member of our church to prayerfully consider one person that they can invest in through prayer and relationship and lead to the Lord Jesus Christ for the glory of God. I pray that we stir the waters of baptism every single week next year and it doesn't stop beyond that. That we would pray and we would cry out and we would seek the Lord and we would beg of Him to save them and we would live intentional lives and we would focus on others for the sole motivation that He is risen. Death's been defeated. You'll be raised in total. Thirdly, I want you to see this. The purpose of salvation is a resurrected people. I've already spoken to this. The resurrection is not only a demonstration of power, it's a validation of the offering. Because God was satisfied with the sacrifice Christ offered for the sins of His people. Listen, God raised Him from the dead, validating the work on the cross. He said, it is finished. And God said, I am satisfied. And he raised him and ascended to eternal glory. He sat down at the right hand of the Father to intercede for his people and to bring them into eternal glory spiritually and bodily in resurrected form. Because Christ conquered death, because he conquered sin, we will be raised to dwell with him forever. How important is this? How important is this? Romans 10, 9, and 10. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. And believe in your heart, what? That God raised him from the dead. You shall what? Be saved. Today, listen, listen. Today you can be saved. For all eternity, your life can be transformed. You can be forgiven of your sin. You can be made right with a holy God and given eternal life. Hope and peace in this life and joy and confidence in a future life. And the way that you do that is exactly what that verse says. You confess with your mouth. It starts with a simple prayer. God, I believe that you're Lord. I don't want to be Lord. You're the Lord. I want you to be the Lord of my life, and I submit myself to you. I believe that Jesus is raised from the dead, and because of that, you can raise me too. He'll forgive you, and he'll save you. That's what it says. You shall be saved. That's the word of God. So you can believe with your own eyes, or you can believe with your ears. There are going to be prayer partners here at the front in just a moment that would love to pray with you. If the need of your life today is that you would trust Jesus, please don't hesitate. Run down the aisle. We're going to sing, and while we're singing, you just come. They won't embarrass you. They'll simply talk to you about how you can be saved. But believers, listen, the reason that I called this life, faith, and eternity is because of uh, many of us are waning in our faith because of life. Don't lose sight of eternity because of life. Life can be difficult and painful. They experience pain, but they saw he's risen. Jesus is still alive. God raised him from the dead. And maybe today you need to surrender fresh and new to him. Let's pray together as the musicians and others are coming. Father, thank you for this glorious day. Thank you for this wonderful opportunity of salvation. I pray that even this morning would be a, a, a day of appointed homecoming. That someone today would trust Jesus Christ and be saved. I pray it for their good ultimately and eternally and for your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand together.